everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, you guys. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I am so happy that you're here, and I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Colleen Wagspack. Well, Luke and I are back from a wonderful weekend with family at Terrania Resort. We were so happy to be able to head just slightly south of us and enjoy a really fun weekend. Very happy Father's Day. I hope that you all can say the same. I hope that you had a relaxing and fun weekend. Wow, you guys, is anyone else blown away that it's June 22nd? This summer is flying by and we still have so many fun things to cover on the podcast. I feel so spoiled because I know the people that I'm recording with and it's so hard to not just share every single detail with you guys, but do stay tuned and be sure to subscribe. There is one guest that is constantly, constantly recommended to me um, that we finally got a recording set and I am thrilled. There are so many amazing episodes coming out, so be sure that you have subscribed to How to Do That Podcast on iTunes. That way you don't miss a thing. We also have our new Friday favorite episodes out, which are just quick, fun conversations with me. I'm sharing just my favorites, whatever that might be, a new favorite Instagram account, a new favorite hike, perhaps a new favorite brand. I'm really enjoying those. It's really a fun and quick way to say hi before the weekend. So be sure to check those out as well. Lastly, you guys, we have new merch on the way, and I am so excited about it. We will likely do a Friday favorite episode to talk a little bit more about it before its launch, but I am so excited. It's very Malibu. It's very me. It's super chic. It's timeless, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this new merch, so stay tuned on that. There are so many fun things happening here, including today's episode with Colleen, but before we dive into today's conversation, I wanted to share share two DMs that I received on Instagram that I was so excited about. So I had one listener reach out to me and she shared that she was actually on set talking with another model about how much they love. How'd she do that? You guys, HSDT is being discussed on set. That felt monumental and I just had to share. I also received a lovely DM that shared that the podcast had really made a long road trip much more bearable over the weekend, which makes me so happy. I mentioned this last week on our Friday favorites as well as Lindsay Zorick's episode from last week, but it feels like so many of you guys have recently found the podcast or perhaps you are catching up, and I am so grateful that you all would take the time to message me to share what you're doing while you listen on your Instagram stories, to share the episodes with friends. It really feels like there's a lot of amazing momentum to the podcast and you all that really goes back to you it goes back to you sharing and every time you do it just makes me so grateful that I get to put these episodes out each week to hopefully encourage you and inspire you to dream big for your own life and career and as I said this is simply the beginning Well, lastly, you guys, I wanted to share a massive thank you to you all for your love and support. As Luke and I shared last week, we were able to make our 
final payment on our law school loans, and we are thrilled. It took us four years and 15 days to pay off over $250,000, and we are still pinching ourselves that we did it. We're debt-free, and we're so happy about it. Many of you reached out to thank me for sharing, and I wanted to add a little moment into today's episode to encourage you and let you know if you're feeling overwhelmed about your financial state, you can do this. If you ever have any questions about how we decided to aggressively pay off our loan, I would love to chat with you. Some quick encouragement would definitely be to go and check out episode 28 with Michelle Hill. She's the CFO of a bank and gives some great budgeting wisdom. Be sure to check out that episode. Well, today's guest, Colleen Wagspack, is amazing. She was such a joy to talk to, and I know that you all are going to enjoy the wisdom that she shares as well as the insight she gives into her many businesses and endeavors. Here is Colleen Wagspack on How'd She Do That? Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Today's guest, Colleen Wagspack, is an interior designer and creative director of Fig and Dove, a shop offering customers beautifully designed, handcrafted items to style in their homes, as well as thoughtfully selected gifts for all occasions. After graduating from LSU, Colleen started her career in Washington, D.C., where she began honing her craft as an interior designer with many different roles. Years later, she and her husband moved their family to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where they have been ever since. In 2015, she founded Fig and Dove, which was originally a couture line of holiday decor designed to complement the interiors she was working on. With over 20 years of professional experience in interior design and clients all over the United States, Colleen launched her firm in 2016. When Colleen isn't working with clients, being mentioned in publications like Southern Living and The Scout Guide, to name a few, she is likely enjoying time at home with her family, which includes her husband and three sons. Colleen, welcome to How'd She Do That? Well, thank you, Emily, for that very thoughtful introduction. And I can't tell you how excited I am to be on today sharing my story with other women I know I learned an awful lot from listening to your podcast, so I'm really looking forward to being able to contribute the same. Oh, well, thank you so much. And likewise, this has been one that I've been so looking forward to sharing and even digging in a little bit more and learning more about you, being able to see all of the different stages of your career. I'm ready to unpack them all. I'm excited about this. Well, good. Me too. Oh, it'll be wonderful. Well, I love to start from the beginning, and you'll know this because you've listened to the podcast, and it's been fun, again, to think through kind of, oh, you're welcome and whatnot. Now, I mentioned where you went to school, but perhaps tell us again, where did you go to school and what did you major in? Okay. Well, I'm from New Orleans, and I went to LSU, and I majored in interior design. And that's something that took me a year to come to because I was always creative. And really, I wanted to major in the fine arts. And after a year of just juggling juggling um, fine arts classes and an honors curriculum, my attorney father wisely set <laughs> me down and said, you know, Colleen, you're a people person and you like to get dressed up. So you need to find a creative outlet, but also an office space. 
Mm-hmm. And a job that has benefits. And you know, if you're a college student, nobody thinks about what benefits are, but they actually <laughs> are important. And he was right. I mean, painting in a studio by myself probably didn't fit my personality. Mm-hmm. So I landed in the interior design department and majored in that and am still practicing interior design today. Oh my gosh. Okay. I have to pause because that's pretty cool. It's rare that one of my guests actually is doing what they majored in. So bravo to you. (laughs) I mean, the interesting thing is, is that I did start my career. I went straight to Washington, Mm D.C., which was a natural fit. My mom was from there. And I feel like I've always had New Orleans family and family in D.C. And interviewed for commercial um, interior design positions at commercial architecture firms there. And what was so interesting about that is when you work for an architecture firm, especially in DC and New York, it's often the global headquarters. Mm. And what you're really working to do is design an office space that speaks to the, that particular brand and that company culture and how they want every employee and every person coming to their offices to really perceive that brand. Mm. And though I moved into residential design later in my career, I still feel like that's what differentiates me as I look at somebody's home and I say, okay, this isn't a Colleen Weigas pack special. This is your home. Mm. So I really work to get to know that client, their background, their lifestyle, how they want to entertain, how they want to use their home. And I'm the editor, but I design a home that really reflects that particular family. Mm. Oh, well, so well said. And it's really cool to think about you even early on in your career, taking in the the corporate environment. And actually, so at that point, tell us a little bit more about that first role. And perhaps how did you land that job in moving to D.C.? Well, it's funny where a lot of my friends were at spring break, you know, our junior and senior years, (laughs) I was determined to end up in New York or Washington. And I flew myself up and I set up interviews and interviewed at every single firm I could get my foot in the door to. And I think I had about 11 job offers when I graduated from college and ended up in Washington, D.C. So um, I started out as a junior level designer at a firm called Greenwell Getz. And I picked that particular job because they had a coffee bar and they offered me a gym membership. (laughs) Poor college student, the free coffee and the gym membership seemed like a fabulous way to pick a firm. So anyway, that's where I started. (laughs) And really the 10 years that we lived in Washington, and it is where I had all three of my boys, I, you know, I stayed on that path. I did move to a larger firm and then in the end to a real small firm, Mm. um, but stayed in corporate interiors the entire time I was there. Oh, wow. Okay. So corporate interiors was the entirety of of that chunk and portion of your career. But I want to backtrack because uh, so many of my listeners, I mean, gosh, we've got empty nesters, we have uh, young recent grads, we've got college students and everything in between, young moms, stay-at-home moms. Um, But I love what you just shared. And this is specifically for maybe my empty nesters and then my college students. For you to say, Okay, everybody was on spring break, which, hey, guys, that's fun. Go ahead and go for it. But you were like determined. And for you, location was such a key element. It sounds like, like, I want to be in New York. I want to be in DC. And so many graduates that I speak with or, or soon to be graduates, that's what they're really looking at is that location. And so you actually, and let me know if you can remember what, what this looked like. Did you let different uh, potential roles know that you were going to be in the area and you love to swing by? Or how was it that you were able to set those up? Because to graduate with 11 11 job offers, very impressive. (laughs) 
Well, I actually set the dates. I mean, this is back mm. in the days that we didn't actually have email in college. And I know that's crazy because I'm 47. <laughs> I did have email at my first job. I remember that's how I got wow. really good at finally like typing correctly with my fingers in the right spot is Ugh. because my first job when I got there, they gave me an email, but I did not have email in college. So I actually mailed a letter to every single firm that was in. There was a magazine that's still there today, the interior design Corporate interiors, everybody subscribes to a magazine called Interior Design, and they had the Giants listed in the back. And I would just take the Giants list, and I mailed a letter, and I said, I will be in Washington between this date and this date and would welcome an interview with you. And then I called every single one to follow up, and I set up my interviews. And I dragged this big old portfolio around town and just met with firm after firm and and interviewed for the jobs. Um, So it was definitely before the days of email, which probably is a much more convenient way to send out your resume these days. <laughs> that's how I did that. <laughs> uh, probably they were shocked to this girl flew herself up from Baton Rouge to interview for all these jobs. It probably helped um, with actually securing entry-level jobs at the time. Oh, well, it's so impressive. And it's an encouragement for my listeners who find excuses to not send out emails. Hello, you guys who are listening, you have the ability to to touch base and to set things up. So I just wanted to pause because that's very impressive, Colleen, to, to step out in that way. Well, it's so fun to hear about this season of life because you were in DC for quite some time. And, and you just mentioned that's where you had your three sons. So this was a large kind of season and, and chunk of time that you guys were there. Tell us a little bit about what it looked like to move back to Louisiana and what that thought process looked like and perhaps maybe what you were thinking career-wise at that point. Well, as much as we loved Washington, and I think my husband and I will both say career-wise, that was you know a great spot for both of us starting mm-hmm. out. Having three children in Washington, working downtown, taking the metro, daycare, juggling the nanny, it was a lot. And yeah. we were pretty exhausted by the birth of our third son. And at that point, missing home Mm. um, and really missing having family, raising our children alongside us. It felt like every time we had a vacation day, we were just dragging the kids back to Louisiana Mm. and really not much time for for all the other things that we really loved about Washington and New York, because I did actually work between Washington and New York for several years. Um, But all the things that were so great, the museums and the events and the access to great places to take a little weekend trip Mm -hmm. with three small children, we weren't doing any of that (laughs) anymore. And we were barely getting by. And when you have a sick child and you bring them to the pediatrician on a Tuesday and the pediatrician says, oh, just keep them home for the rest of the week, you Mm -hmm. look at the calendar and say, well, I don't have that many vacation days left. Mm -hmm. So. At that point, we were looking for a way to go home. And unfortunately, Hurricane Katrina had happened in New Orleans a Mm -hmm. couple of years before. So right at the time of the birth of our third son, when we were really wondering, how are we going to do this with three kids? Mm -hmm. My husband got a job offer in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he said, you know, I know you always thought you'd end up back in New Orleans, but it's sort of this or we're staying. Mm. And so I sort of packed my bags and ran. At that point, the <laughs> idea of having anybody help me with the kids <laughs> was amazing. Was a welcome exchange. So, you know, I was happy to head back to Louisiana. I was very concerned career-wise because, of course, mm-hmm. my husband was going towards a job. Right. And I was not. And I did wonder, you know, what I was going to find moving back to Louisiana, especially to a smaller town like Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. 
And the trade-off has been worth it. I think raising my children in a town this size, close to family, Mm. has been um, very rewarding. And I think my children have benefited greatly, as have we. At the same time, career-wise, I definitely wasn't going to be able to find the type of firm that I'd been used to working for in Washington, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mm, yes. And and thus began, I mean, at, at that time, did you get your feet under you? Did you get acclimated? Or were you very eager to to figure out the next role? And I'm so curious as to when residential comes into play, and, and that might be now. So tell us a little bit about that. So that really was now. You know, mm. I got to Baton Rouge and pretty quickly was connected with um, a very very high-end residential firm in New Orleans, Holden and Dupuy, that Mm. was very nationally known. And I had known Ann Holden and Ann Dupuy from growing up in New Orleans. And they said to me, you know, I know you've done commercial and not residential. And at the same time, post-Katrina, a lot of our business has moved towards Baton Rouge. Mm. So would you be interested in joining us as the Baton Rouge office? And that was great for me because I felt like if I really wasn't going to be able to find a corporate firm of the caliber that I've been working for, I'd rather just try something different. And they were published in all the big national magazines. And I had always tracked living in Washington who got published outside of um, Louisiana. Mm. So for me, that was really valuable experience because they were very seasoned and they trained me in all the details that I never learned in corporate interiors. You know, there's no decorative elements. There's no draperies in corporate interiors. So wow. truly drapes that are lined and interlined and pillows with microcording and all the finishing touches that really make a home look finished mm. are things that I learned from them through working with them. So I was really actually lucky that they needed somebody in Baton Rouge. I don't think pre-Katrina that would have been on there horizon. Mm, wow. And for you to be able to step in and actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but but become the, that office and that location. That's right. That's exactly what I did. Oh, so that was a great fit for me. Uh, now, what was the biggest challenge? Because, I, you know, and I'm not, and many who are listening, you might not be an interior designer. I would never call myself that. Even looking around the room I'm sitting in, I'd love your help. Um, but I think about, <laughs> I think about, um, gosh, from commercial. So when I think of or commercial corporate uh, setting, and like you just said, what was there a learning curve? What do you remember about that season of of perhaps loving and enjoying about residential? But but what was kind of the biggest learning curve in, in kind of moving in that direction? Definitely the biggest learning curve for me was antiques. You know, oh, wow. in corporate work, we don't use any antiques. Um, and again, we didn't have drapes, so we didn't have throw pillows. I always loved curating art installations, but mm. the things that really make a home warm, and that is, you know, old furniture has patina to it and character to it. Mm. And antiques, you know, speak to a collection as opposed to, you know, the corporate interiors that I was working on were always, always fairly modern. Um, mm. And even finding clients, you know, how, let's see, 18 years ago, or I guess it was 15 years ago that wanted modern homes were few and far between in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So learning how to, how to actually use antiques and modern seamlessly in the same setting is something that I learned from them. And again, how to make a home feel warm and like a home and comfortable, you know, corporate environments are not designed with warmth. 
Hmm. Um, they're designed for productivity, productivity. Mm-hmm. And that was very different. I learned a lot from working with them. Mm. Oh my goodness. Now, how long were you with this firm? So I was with them for seven years oh, and right. you know, there's a, there's a big sort of thing that happened in my life during those years. It's important because as we go through the questions, mm-hmm. you know, this was very important to who I was at the time and what happened to us in our path and moving, mm. which is our middle son got diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Oh, wow. And that um, obviously is not something we saw coming. And that is also why it was so fortuitous that we had gone home and had mm. family because wow. a two-year-old on the autism spectrum is pretty overwhelming mm. and time consuming. And that had happened at that time. Um, so I was working with them, but what also happened in those years was Christopher was going to therapies all over the place, speech mm. here, OT here, you know, a shadow in his preschool, any kind of therapy we could get our hands on, we had signed Christopher up for. Mm. And the Baton Rouge Speech and Hearing Foundation came to me and asked me to lead a capital campaign to build a center for autism in Baton Rouge. Oh my God. And at the time, I was drowning, you know, between yeah. the kids, specifically Christopher, my husband was working a whole lot, and then trying to keep up with the interior design work to have you know, some generate some income towards that $50,000 a year in therapy that we were going through with Christopher. Wow. The idea of running a capital campaign at the same time was mine. Yeah, it was just so overwhelming. I just right. thought, I said, gosh, you've got attorneys on the board. You've got hmm. physicians on our board. You know, why, why would I do this? And they said, because you can speak to the cause. Like, you know what you're hmm. talking about. You understand the need. And the concept was simple. And the director and I had come up with it. And it was all services under one roof. Wow. And it was the idea that if your child needs speech or OT or ABA therapy, you can go to one place and get it. And you can go to work and they're experts and you will get coordinated care Wow. Um, versus taking your child to all these different therapists and sort of being the coordinator of all the therapies. Hmm. And so in the midst of everything that was going on, I actually led that capital campaign and we built a beautiful building with High quality services that I think are better than anything you can get in the United States. And I'm so proud of the Emerge Center and what it's become. Mm. And looking back at that, I said, wow, really what I did for a living, because there were times where I was like people in Washington and my my peers and my colleagues would say, what happened to her? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm living in this small town and I'm drowning. And um to build that building and that center of that caliber in this town meant so much because mm. it really brought together like the experience that I had working all those years in Washington. Wow. I knew how to hire the right architects. I knew how to find the right contractor. I knew what the art installations needed to look like and represent. I knew how the children needed to feel mm. and how the parents needed to feel actually having their children go to a center all day, every day, five days a week. And how they were feeling just to be the parents of a child in the autism spectrum. And it really turned out to be the most rewarding and beautiful project. And that oh. ha- that happening at the time um, really sort of said this, this made sense. We came home, we had these experiences, and we did something really wonderful with it. 
Oh my gosh. Well, yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing just even that little insight into what was happening with your family and with Christopher at that time. But for you to be able to take all that you had done, I I got chills as you were saying it, all that you had learned and all that you had done and to take it to such a personal level to to step into and help the Emerge Center come to life. I mean, that's got to be one of your most favorite accomplishments in, in your career. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And the interesting thing is, is there's, you know, as a parent, when your child is not developing, typically there's a lot of fear yeah. and there's also a lot of healing in giving back and being mm. a part of something that, you know, I can help these families get through this time in a better, faster, quicker way than even we did. You know, wow. I didn't, there was no self-serving anything when I started it. And then for the rest of my life, I'll realize it's given back you know, a thousandfold to actually what I put into the Emerge Center. Oh my gosh. Well, that is amazing, Colleen. Again, thank you so much for sharing. It's it's really cool. And, and for those of you who are listening, to think about how Colleen decided to to step out, because like you said, that wasn't necessarily ideal timing for you guys, for you to take on a project of that level of, of, of what you needed to be doing. But it's such an encouragement for those of you who are listening, you know, if there's an opportunity that comes your way that pulls at your heartstrings and ties in with your giftings, perhaps take a a page from Colleen's book and think about if that's going to be an option for you to assist and to help. Now, tell me, is um, the Emerge Center, it's still there and and up and running and and active? Oh, it's thriving. We now have the, oh, it's absolutely thriving. Um, They're doing research. There's grants. It's expanded three times. There's the Emerge, um, there's the Emerge Charter School for Autism now as well. And we're adding on one grade a year. So I think we'll be up to third grade um, in the fall. And I'm, again, it's sort of also, I was definitely a part of the start and Mm. to see it now successfully thriving and growing um, just is just unimaginable to me. I can't believe when we started that it's become this. um, And I've always said, you know, I had been in Washington, D.C. and found out I had a child on the autism spectrum Mm. and I visited the Emerge Center. I would move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to go there. The quality there is so great. And the reason that it ties into this podcast is when, you know, the decision to actually leave Holden and Dupuy, go on my own and start Fig and Dove tied directly into that project. Because when we finished the Emerge Center and then all of a sudden I was sitting there as an interior designer what was really powerful for me were the people that donated real money to that campaign and who mm. were able to actually say, yes, Colleen, I'll write a check for a million dollars or $250,000. Wow. And when that wrapped up, there was this sort of hollow feeling. And I said, you know, as an interior designer, I can contribute financially as in I, I can send my kids to summer camp right? and I can help pay for Christopher's therapies and I can, um, I can buy a table at an event, but I'll never put a wing on a building wow. as an interior designer. And I say that, I mean, maybe <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, at the same time, I was like, I have to do something bigger and I have to build a business that's scalable beyond me just working, you know, me billing for the hours and the amount of time I can spend on something. I really wanted to build something to scale. Mm. And the whole purpose is, is I want to be able to do something bigger right. for autism, for these children, open the doors for more families. And, um, and I really felt like at that time I needed to keep my eyes open for a way to do that. Mm. At the same time, Christmas decorations would have never been a way I would have thought 
of starting a business. But right. on Holden and Dupuis' side, every time we finished a beautiful home, our clients would always say to us, you know, you're not going to like our Christmas decorations. So will you help us with our Christmas decorations? Like the home is finished oh. and it's beautiful. But what we've used in the past is not going to look good in our home. And so for a while, I would say, oh, no, Christmas decorations. I mean, if throw pillows and draperies were a stretch for me, (laughs) Christmas decorations was a whole nother level of decorating. Um, But really, interestingly enough, it sort of hit me after the wrap up of that of that capital campaign is that there is a void in the market Mm. in truly beautiful, well-made Christmas decorations that are timeless, that go with the decor of anyone's home and that you'll really be happy to pull out every year. And, um, that really was how I started Fig and Dove. Oh my gosh. Well, you just nailed, you just pointed out something that I would have never thought of, but what a great thing you honed in on that you wrap up these, the, you know, these projects with clients and you, you send them on their way to enjoy the holidays and their new beautiful home. And they recognize, Ooh, our Christmas, our Christmas decoration is not going to cut it with our new beautiful updated home. And for you to think, okay, this is an area I can step into. One, I love how niche it was, and it was very specific to you know who you were working with, and it and it felt like perhaps you knew that this is going to work. But but was that so? That was in 2015. Was that were you ready to launch at Christmas of 2015, or was that a little bit later? What was that time frame like? All right. So let's think it's, so it was 2015 and, um, it was pretty quick. It was, it was, I had been custom making things for clients for Christmas, the two seasons prior to that. It started with a photo shoot where a magazine had asked me to style a client's home for Christmas. And I started looking for Christmas decorations and I really couldn't find the type of things that I really wanted for that particular home. And so I started custom making some things and then that got published the next season, other clients saw it and said, well, wait, you did her Christmas decorations. <laughs> you said, do Christmas decorations. So a second season, I did that. And <sighs> so really, I guess between 2014 and 2015, I made the prototypes. And I really just looked at our book of clients and said, okay, well, our clients love Fortuny fabrics. So those are very decorative mm. and they're coveted. And people understand the quality of Fortuny fabrics. And then you know, I was working with Coleman Taylor, which is a company in Montgomery, Alabama, who did some beautiful hand block print fabrics. Uh-huh. And then on the other side, in Providence, Rhode Island, I had Michael Savoya, who would embroider the leading cuffs of drapes for us. Uh-huh. And so we had him do cuffs of stockings. And so we were really just taking what we were doing on the interior design side and translating it into stockings and tree skirts. And I always said, you know, a tree skirt when I was looking for tree skirts, you know, they were never big enough to truly fill out the space underneath mm-hmm. the tree. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, fabric is 54 inches wide. So that's why, you know, mm-hmm. tree skirts, people are trying to make out of one width of fabric versus two. That's a completely cost differential. Mm-hmm. But the difference with us too is we microcorded things, we lined them, we interlined them, we got the proportions right and really looked at it more from the interior design side of like, let's create something that's beautiful and will actually be hang elegantly in your house. And so you won't be ripping your Christmas decorations down the day after Christmas. Interestingly (laughs) enough, when we went to do our first photo shoot, 
all of a sudden, it, I hadn't thought of how I was going to hang those stockings from a mantle. And we had this beautiful oh. home that I was borrowing from a friend. And she had all these gorgeous marble mantles. Oh. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I can't take my Pottery Barn Joy out and hang my 43 <laughs> stockings from that. <laughs> so we put together these makeshift ac- acrylic stocking holders. And I was like, well, this is brilliant because whether you're in a traditional home or a modern home, an acrylic stocking holder is going to look great. So we quickly came up with the prototypes and developed those. And to this day, the acrylic stocking holders really have been the bread and butter of our business. Oh my gosh. Isn't that amazing? It, it, I'm always so surprised by my guests, how, how they, they find, you know, they think they're on and you are definitely onto something with, with the Christmas element and, and whatnot, but, but for there to be a moment that, you know, something there, we need help with something. And for that to be, like you just said, a, a huge part of your business to this day, that's so fun to hear and to think about. Now, I'm so curious because, and again, those of you who are listening, you may be familiar with Colleen's work and you may be familiar with Fig and Dove. It is much more than just Christmas at this point. So tell us about what it looked like to grow. And by the way, at that time, when you're doing stockings and, and tree skirts, um, where are you selling these items? Is figandove.com up and live or is this out of your home? I mean, tell us about that. Well, so Fig and Dove started out as a website, and I really thought it was just going to be a website, and it was just going to be a, a direct-to-consumer brand. Right. And um, and yeah, just just I just at that point thought, gosh, people are shopping online. And the first season, I reached out to different people I knew through the interior design industry, and we were really fortunate in that Architectural Digest, Southern Living, Gardening Gun. Um, our local, you know, local and regional press all picked up at least a story on these artisan collaborations and these Christmas decorations that worked in modern and both traditional homes and bridged the gap and were collectible. We got a lot of great press. And what came from that is, so we did get a good amount of people on our website. Our prices were really high. I mean, when Mm. you start a business and decide you're going to go straight out with $400 a yard fabric. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Our prices were high. We were lucky to get the orders that we did. But what most surprised me were how many people went on the website and emailed in and said, what stores are you carried in? And I would say, well, we're not. We are e-commerce. And they'd say, well, I love your product. But at that price point, I would actually like to touch and feel it. So just let me know when you start being carried in stores. I was like, oh, huh stores did never occurred to me we would be in a store. We got a lot of emails, people asking, where is your shop? Uh. There was no shop. It was e-commerce. So the other thing that happened was stores called and said, what is your wholesale pricing? We'd like to set up an account. And I really, Uh. again, had no idea what they were talking about. And I was like, excuse me, what is wholesale pricing? Right. And you start looking up wholesale prices like, oh my gosh, I'd have to like sell my product for half. (laughs) Yeah. So interestingly enough, there was enough traction the first year that I said, okay, this business has legs. This could work. At the same time, I really don't know what I'm doing. And so I signed up for a program based out of Houston called the Circular Board. And it was a women's business incubator that had a condensed business program that you could go through. And I applied for that and signed up for that. And that was extraordinarily helpful. It was sort of a, I think it was a six to nine month commitment um, a working packet that you did every week, a women's network that they put you in touch with. Like we had a team of 10 that we all got on calls 
three or four times a week. And we really had to actually do our homework. And it forced me to really relook at the business, rethink things. And the following January, I was selling at the wholesale market. Oh my gosh. I love that resource. That is so cool. Now say that one more time. What was it? The Circular Board. It was a women's business accelerator program based out of Houston. How awesome is that? I, I don't know that I've had a guest that shared something, I mean, so tangible because so many of us and and even listeners, there's always a question, should I go back to school? I didn't major in business, et cetera, et cetera. But for you to be able to, to do something like that, step into, gosh, yeah, an accelerated kind of business setup with women that you can ask questions to, and then to turn around and be selling that next season in stores. That is so cool. I, I love hearing that tip and, and even that you were able to do so. So what did it look like? Gosh, I mean, how many stores did you start out in? I, I'm guessing they were handpicked or did they reach out to you? What, what did that relationship look like? Well, we went to the Home and Gift Mart in Atlanta in January uh-huh. and we sold there in January and July. And it's interesting because what we learned there is that in January, the big retail shops come to shop. Um, So that's your One Kings Lane and Nordstrom and the bigger retailers. They're financially buying in January for the following year, or even sometimes two years in advance. And then in July, you pick up all of the smaller retailers um, because somebody with a smaller shop is not going to spend money in January on product that they don't want to receive until after Labor Day. Mm. And so... um, so anyway, we, we found a good amount of success at that, you know, going to market that first year. And also the other things were, were press, you know, so mm-hmm. again, like the Southern Living style, Christmas style magazine would come through and mm-hmm. you know, different people would come through that you would meet in the press as well. So, but the most valuable thing from selling at the market was all the friends that you made who are basically in the same space who are selling. Mm. And when you're selling next to, you know, Nest Candles mm-hmm. and, you know, Kate from Bobble Stockings and Wendy O'Connor, all of those become your friends the entire time. Mm. You know, like the girls from Zest Organic sell across from me. And, you know, the whole time in between meeting with different different buyers, you're actually talking about, okay, where are you sourcing your product? Well, how are you getting over there? Well, do you have a customs broker? Well, wow. so they sort of become like your camp friends. Yes. And I think you know, we go to market last year because of COVID. And the good news is after doing it for three or four years, I do have all these connections, but that was so valuable. I mean, really mm-hmm. learning from others, seeing how they're doing things. And most people around you are an open book of information. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all out there helping each other out and, um, that is probably really one of the best things. People would ask us, I mean, what are your terms? And I would go over to Jess and say, what does the term terms mean? You right, know? yes. And, you know, they would say, what is your market special? I'm like, there is no market special. We're here to sell. <laughs> right. But you know, I've never even heard of any of this. And so, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. I mean, the first year I was absolutely clueless front gate came the first year and they said you know they asked me for some kind of a of a deal if they bought some large quantity i was like oh we don't have deals (laughs) that was so dumb but (laughs) they said said, we are front gate and i was like and i know who you are and i am fig and dove (laughs) but you know, really, you know, it. it's funny in hindsight, I, you know, the, after that, I chased Frontgate for three years and they never took my calls. <laughs> but at the time, you know, I just, you know, we, we went there, you know, 
pretty new. Right. I mean, it's and such a learning curve to to step into. And I love even the terms that, that you're sharing. And some of you guys, th- these might be terms, hey, Google them, check it out and, and see what Colleen's talking about with, with these specifics. But to think about you moving forward, and I'm so curious because I'm thinking about the timeline here, okay, Colleen, and I'm thinking, hmm, Fig and Dove, I believe was 2015. Now, your firm launches the following year, are you doing interior design as Fig and Dove is really kind of moving forward and and really kind of on the uphill? Are you doing interiors at that time or was there a pause? What did that look like? Because at this point, I'm looking at you like you've got multiple ventures going here in a second. (laughs) That's right. And my husband will tell you I was working in my sleep, but there wasn't a pause. (laughs) And in the beginning, literally, if I look at the shelf of interior design projects and every client has two binders, and I really thought mm. of Fig and Dove as a white binder, just one more binder. And I said, oh, it's just going to be like another client. Like we're going to have the yes. Landry's, Smith's, yes. and Fig and Dove. And, and, you know, Fig and Dove got bigger and bigger and more and more time consuming. I remember at this point we were still just Christmas. Wow. And so it wasn't a year round thing. So I felt like it was manageable to an extent. And the other thing is each business helps the other. So, you know, if right. I'm going to high point for the interior design side, I can also speak on a panel for Fig and Dove. And it's like that to this day. Mm. I feel like what's going on in the interior design business and sort of market trends, even mm-hmm. though I do not consider us trendy, I do consider us timely, but just sort of, mm. you know, the block printing of fabrics and new things that come out. I look at the interior design business and Fig and Dove is very, very integral because I also look at the interior design business and say, gosh, what couldn't we find for clients that we need? Mm. Oh, so modern, well-executed tassels, tassels in that my favorite accent color, which is chartreuse. Okay, well, we'll add that. Mm. So lots of times we're styling interior design homes on that side of the business and we're saying, okay, well, we could add this on the Fig and Dove side. So definitely both each business helps the other at the same time. Um, it was busy. It was very, very busy. <laughs> and the reason, the decision to leave Fig and um, Holden and Dupuy and go out on my own is the timing was great and that there were two Anns that owned Holden and Dupuy and Holden and Dupuy oh. and Anne Dupuy had decided to retire. Oh. And so it was just a perfect timing that everybody sort of did their own thing. Anne Holden became Hannah Holden Designs. And I said, at this point, I needed to hire people for Fig and Dove. Wow. So it didn't make any sense to sort of have staff on you know, the interior design business with them and then to have staff on the Fig and Dove side. So at that time, it just sort of made sense to say, okay, Colleen Wagas Pack Interiors is going to be its own thing. And therefore, as I hire people, they can support both businesses. And when you're small and starting out, you just can't go out and start hiring a bunch of people. So right. everyone that you do hire has to be a bit of a Swiss army knife. And, mm-hmm. um, and really, you know, we started out with one employee that was both Fig and Dove and Colleen Wagas Back Interiors, all the financial side of the business. And then one employee that was working full-time on the Fig and Dove side is how we started. Oh my gosh. It's so fun to think about. And I love what you just said about, okay, this person needs to be multi-talented. They need to be able to do a ton of different things. We can't just, you know, put somebody on sales and that's their only job or, or just marketing. That's their only job. But this is so fun because these are two different entities. And I love what you just said. And I would agree, knowing your story, knowing your businesses, (laughs) that they both truly do help each other. And I think that's such an interesting thought for those of you who are listening. And perhaps you, like Colleen, have multiple passions that you're thinking about and you're wondering, well, I don't know which one to do. I don't know if they can go hand in hand. Well, in Colleen's case, they they really have very much hand in hand and, and they do help one another. 
Now, I'm curious what your thoughts on this would be. Is there specific advice that you could maybe give or or a lesson learned that you could share with women who are thinking about starting their own business because at this point you've you've done just that a, a few times over. <laughs> Well, I think that there are a lot of women in business networking opportunities. And Mm. no matter where you live, there's a lot locally, there's a lot regionally, and then there's nationally. You know, a lot of women's business incubator programs, a lot of networking events, Mm. going and listening to other women speak about their business and how they did it um, and how they built them is invaluable. Mm. And meeting other people and talking to them gives you the confidence that, you know, if they did it, you can do it too. And really at the end of the day, you just have to look at, um, if you really, you have to love the idea and you have to be committed because there aren't any extra hours in the day and there are a lot of bumps in the road and you have to be willing to get past them. Hmm. And, um, it's not a job ad as everybody (laughs) in our office, it's a term we have come up with. You know, everybody says, I want to work at Fig and Dev. And then when you really talk to them about it, and you look at the hours that we're working and the amount that we're working and truly the Swiss army knife. I mean, right. one day you're loading the car and you're driving to Houston, you're doing a show and then you're meeting with clients on the interior design side and you're coming home yeah. and five seconds later, you know, your, your kid's eighth grade graduation. I mean, right. you, the, the, working with children is a, is a real commitment to mm. work. So therefore you really have to love what you're doing. And I think that's why a lot of people make complete pivots in their career because right. they realize I want to work, but I want to love what I'm doing. And right. I feel like at my office, we all love what we're doing. Mm. I love, I love to hear that. And it shows, you know, even as you say that I'm thinking of your team and and who helped us get this all set up, they're fantastic to work with. So I have no doubt that your clients who spend months and months with you on, on specific projects would, would feel the same. So it's really fun to hear that what we're seeing is true, that, that you guys love it. Now, I, I do want to know, because we've talked a, a lot about some of the highlights and, and some really great moments throughout your career. Um, but I would be remiss to, to not perhaps ask if there yeah. is a moment or an instant in, in your career that perhaps a, a moment of failure or something went a little haywire that maybe helped shape or guide your next steps? Yes. So it's a year I hate to remember, but year mm. three, pretty much a disaster. Mm. And, you know, I feel like I've always been an optimist. I mean, if we go to a show and we do not sell everything that we were hoping we would sell and make our numbers, when I get back, Virginia, who's my finance person, will say, hmm, I looked at sales. And I'll say, oh, but you know who we met? And I'll go through all the test contacts, all the sort of other experiences, and I'll fly right over the fact that maybe the numbers weren't what we were hoping. Mm. And so I do think, you know, I'm resilient. I'm an optimist. Um, And so I try to fail forward. At the same time, year three, Mm. you know, I had this thing, I had to be profitable by year three. And year three, we went to market in January, we picked up some huge accounts. Um, Everything was going right. And that should have been our year. And um, I met a woman who was a manufacturer in the United States who gave me this great sales pitch about how she was getting manufacturing at a competitive price, you know, in the United States. And she had invested in all of this technology to make that happen. Hmm. And she convinced me that I should put all of our orders into her hands, including her procuring our fabric. Hmm. And that we were going to play a project manager and we were going to have weekly, weekly meetings. And it was all so professional. Hmm. I called a friend of mine who has a similar business to mine, different product line, but who I met through that incubator. And she was in my group 
And she said, sounds too good to be true, Colleen. I think it is. Mm. But I did not listen to her either. And we moved forward. And when you're building a business like this, you know, the first year one and year two, you want to say like, are people buying our stuff? Do they like it? Does it look great? Mm -hmm. Does our website look nice? We had all of that, but we were never going to make it if we didn't work on getting our pricing more competitive and Mm -hmm. at least getting, at least getting some variation in our pricing where maybe not everything was a $450 stocking. We actually could have a more reasonable stocking as well. Right. And by I had I had employed the first few years like a lot of different smaller manufacturers locally. These women had been wonderful to us, but she, you know, by putting all of our manufacturing in one workroom, we thought we could get our pricing much better. And interestingly enough, I just got completely bamboozled. Um wow. for stores for Christmas product, you're supposed to start shipping the day after Labor Day. And all these weekly calls and all these progress updates from them everything was on track. And then we realized Labor Day, gosh, we should just get all the tracking information, the size of the boxes and be organized. And when we asked them to provide the tracking information, the reply back was, we haven't produced anything. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, we couldn't believe it. We all just sat there with our jaws on the ground. We said, what do you mean you haven't produced anything? Well, not have they not only not produced anything, they hadn't even procured the fabrics. Oh, Some, wow. not the rest. They had the names wrong with the fabrics. It was a complete disaster. So we were supposed to be shipping out to stores the following week, and we had nothing to ship. And all we could do to salvage the season was really put every single small seamstress that had done any work for us back to work. Um mm-hmm. And shipping fabrics on credit cards from overseas. I mean, it was a complete disaster. Um, wow. <laughs> it was so discouraging because on our end, we felt like we had done everything right. And really, you know, we had trusted someone based on just me having a conversation with them and meeting them in person. And I guess in hindsight, I looked back because I was so discouraged. I mean, to say it was a financial disaster. I mean, we definitely ran out of money completely. And at that point, you know, my husband, who had just full trust in everything I was doing, I one night went to him and said, "Okay, well, here's a reality. This is where, this is where this business is financially." You know, I took out a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. We're at a hundred thousand. I borrowed a hundred thousand from an angel investor. We're out that too, and um, we don't, you know. Basically, I think it was coming to him to see like if he thought we should personally put a little bit more into the business. Right. He said, "Son, you're smart. Don't take another dime. Like, you'll have to figure this out." And at wow. that point, so what I did was is I really had to decide like, are we going to keep this afloat? And I took what was in the interior design accounts and moved it over to Fig and Dove. And it was wow. just that was the moment for me to say like, do I care about this business enough to shovel it out and keep going? And then to build you know, mm. that's even more debt that I'm going to have to pay my way out of. But, you know, it was so discouraging because I was like, well, we didn't do anything wrong. And I couldn't figure out what the lessons learned was. But I think the biggest lesson learned is number one, when you're starting out a business, you don't think you can afford to go fly and see a factory. So if you've met the person, you've Mm. had these great conversations and their website's nice and their Instagram's nice. I mean, it's amazing what someone's Instagram can look like versus like what's going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. with this factory. I did put immediately an employee on a plane to go and actually put their eyes on the factory and wow. what they did say they had and find out even what they said they were producing was actually reality. 
And when she got there, she called me and she said, Colleen, if you had ever visited this place, we would have never hired them. And we certainly wow. wouldn't have put that much money behind a company like this. Wow. And so I guess the lesson learned is two things is number one, you think you can't afford to go tour a workroom or a factory. You kind of can't afford not to. Mm. And second is don't ever put all of your eggs in one basket. I mean, mm. Move, moving forward, we never have put all of our manufacturing of any product in one space. You know, mm -hmm. we do not burn bridges. We try to at least keep some of our smaller manufacturers passing them smaller things because we know they all bailed us out when we were in a bind. And we want to make sure if we hit another bind, they're going to bail us out again. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Well, both of the, I mean, that, that, that lesson in and of itself that you're sharing, I have no doubt someone who's listening, that's going to be extremely encouraging and helpful to them. And I, I, I can only imagine even, even thinking back to that year, it's like, oh, I don't even, like you said earlier, I don't even want to remember this year, but thank you for telling us this, this portion of it, because I think so many times, you know, we, we would get to see you. We know Colleen, we know Fig and Dove, it's just on the ups and ups and ups, but to hear the inside scoop, of, of what has happened and, and what you have been through and what you've learned and then what you've overcome, it actually makes me personally feel even more inspired and even more of a fan of Fig and Dove and, and all that you've done. Now, on the flip side, I have to ask, after asking that tough question, I'd love to know what's been a real wow moment? What, what in the past few years has happened that perhaps you looked around, maybe at your team, maybe at Stacy and others, and, and you thought, okay, we're really on to something that this is a big deal. Well, there's two things. Okay. One, on the interior design side, my right. clients, and everybody has different types of clients, but my clients, when Garden and Gun came out, they loved Garden and Gun. And it just spoke oh. to the type of clients I had. They loved Southern. They loved quality. They loved handmade things. The photography mm. was beautiful. And when Garden and Gun called the first year and did a story, we were behind the press. Like when we actually launched, it was too late to put us in print, mm. but they immediately did a story on us and then called for the following year and said, okay, this year, will you actually send us product and we're going to actually shoot it and it's going to be in our December issue. That was huge because it just wow. said, I'm actually am designing product that is of a caliber that could be in gardening gun. It does resonate with my clients. It will resonate with their audience and everything that they put in that article sold out immediately, wow. um, which showed that we had found our niche. I mean, you don't mm -hmm. have to appeal to everybody. And um, we were appealing to the people that we wanted to appeal to. And so and the interesting thing is, too, is when Gardening Gun said they were going to shoot this product, at first they said, well, gosh, we need a location in New Orleans. I said, oh, well, there's a home that I've just finished in New Orleans um, oh. that we took scouting pictures for. I'll send it to you. And when I sent them the home that I thought they could shoot our product in, they said, no, this home is too good to use for this Christmas shoot. <sighs> we're going to actually use that on the interior design side, and we're going to publish that three months behind this. So we ended oh. up getting... The home published for the interior design business three months behind getting published in their December issue. So for me, being in Gardening Gun, it's like, you know, other people in other parts of the country that might not be the magazine they want to get in. For me, that was the magazine I wanted to get in. And so oh. that really was a like, hey, let's pause. You're in Gardening Gun. That was big. <laughs> and um, the other thing is, and it goes back to the Emerge Center, is... Mm. Something we just launched in the spring that for me is a huge wow moment is I always wanted something tangible to tie us to the Emerge Center and to the cause of autism. Hmm. And I'm, 
until we were profitable enough, I couldn't do it. You know, we've always obviously bought tables at their event and, you know, donated items to their auction. But I wanted an item that we sold on our website that always gave back and always spoke to the center and to the cause. And we launched our acrylic butterflies this spring. And the butterfly is the symbol of the Emerge Center. If you think about it, they start out in a cocoon Mm -hmm. and going to a center where you can get all of these integrated therapies, you know, really allows you to maximize your potential in life and really spread your wings and become beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so we have these acrylic butterflies that we're selling on our website now. And those were always be tied philanthropically to our give back to the Emerge Center. So for me, that was a big moment because that's how I started this business. And that still is the end goal with this business Mm -hmm. is to be able to make larger contributions in that way. Mm -hmm. So that was another big wow moment for me. Oh, well, and those butterflies are beautiful. I've seen them. And if you don't know what Colleen is talking about, you need to go and head over because they are really something. They're they're beautiful. And to, again, have have you share the connects behind them. It's like, oh, it, it really ties a bow on, on all that you've done. It's really amazing, Colleen. Oh my goodness. Well, this has been amazing. I feel like I could talk to you forever, <laughs> uh, but I really feel that way. And I'm really looking forward to at some point, hopefully saying thank you in person. Um, but if I've learned anything about you throughout our time together and, and also preparing for this call, it's that there's always something around the corner. You guys always have something coming up. Um, and I know that just recently, uh, you actually, your son, he graduated from high school, which is amazing. Right. So so you might have a, a fun answer to this question, both personally or, or work-wise. What's next for you? What's coming up that we can be looking forward to? Well, next for, next for me is actually something that... Um, really speaks to the whole, you know, everything we've talked about since we started this conversation, which is really building an office space that reflects Fig and Dove and Colleen Wagas Pack Interiors. Because wow. it's funny, we actually work in the LSU Business Incubator, which feels very much like a startup every day. Oh. And um, it's been a great location to really start and grow the business. But at the same time, I don't think if you walked in, you would say, wow, this is Fig and Dove. <laughs> this is an interior that <laughs> Colleen Wagaspack feel like represents her brand. And I do think back to the beginning of my career, it's really important to inspire employees from the time they come in the door, Mm. you know, and really understand the brand and understand our values. And having a space that actually brands us is very important to me. So right now we've been looking at property and working on some initial concepts for what that's going to look like. So I'm really excited about that. Um, And as always, we've got great new products that are coming out. We have For years, you know, and this is, again, what I love about selling in person is everybody's been asking us for an angel. And I've sort of struggled with what is the Colleen Waggis Pack design Mm. fig and dove angel. And we actually have one coming out that's really stunning because it has to be artisan and it has to be the right look. And and this is going to be really special. And that's coming out. Um, I think we'll have our prototypes in about a month, but I'm really excited about that. Oh, as you should be. All of this is so exciting. I'm I'm so excited. Once you have that up and running, everybody's going to want to come and visit. And, and that's so cool to think about your team being there. Now, I didn't ask this earlier. How many people are currently on your team? I always love this question. Well, right now we've got about seven people working full time. And wow. of course, we always have interns. And the nice thing about the proximity to LSU, we all have kids that are yes. seniors <laughs> in high school and freshmen in college. And so the interesting thing is, is that we've always had a slew of interns. 
And a few Love months it. ago, we sat down and said, actually, our kids have the first opportunity to be the interns. And so we oh, have a number of people's kids working in the office this summer. Um, but we do a lot of, we have a lot of, we do a lot of outsourcing as well. And that yeah. is something important for other people building a business to know is that, you know, day one, you won't be able to, you know, afford a full-time graphic designer. That's okay. You outsource it until your needs are such that it makes more sense to bring it in-house. And mm. that is how we keep building our team is that we outsource until, okay, this, what we're paying to outsource is the same as what we pay a salary. Mm. And then we bring the person in-house. Oh, such a great tip. And uh, yeah, to think of of you being able to do that with whoever it is that you've outsourced and, and say, okay, come on. And I am an I'm I'm such an advocate for interns. So to hear that you're able to utilize the LSU team members, that's so fun too. Well, Colleen, is there anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to? Um I think let's see. Actually, we covered we we covered a lot, but I think my biggest advice to other women is don't be afraid to ask someone for advice or to pick mm. up the phone or send an email. You'd be surprised. I mean, people want to help other people. Women particularly want to help other women succeed. And yeah. I do think that like women and men are in a different space work-wise, especially if you're trying to balance raising children and having a career. And right. hearing from other women how they did it really can help you um, figure out how to chart your path. So I mm. think You'd be surprised at how many emails we answer, how many DMs we answer, and how many people have answered ours and wow. really been an open book of knowledge. So I think if you have any questions, you just need to look at someone running a business similar to what you're thinking about doing, and you'd be surprised they'll probably give you some valuable advice. Oh, such a good encouragement for my listeners. Yes, make the phone call, send the email. That seems to be a theme. And, and just take note from Colleen's experience, networking and friendship and great relationships is obviously a theme in your life and in your career. So that's fantastic advice. Well, within that theme of networking, I always love to ask guests, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their how did she do that story? I think Kate Stice from Bobble Stockings would be fabulous. And she has built a really phenomenal business and at the same time has been able to support um, women in Haiti at the same time. Um, she started probably two or three years behind us, but she's wow. a perfect example of somebody that called on us for advice. And now we look at how well her business is growing and we call Kate for advice. Um, <laughs> we did a collaboration with Kate her first year. We I, I don't know how we found her, but the first year it was a really new idea. And, um, we're doing another collaboration with her that's coming out in 2022. Oh. So that shows you how far in advance you really have to work on these new products. Um, but Kate has done so well and we're so proud of her. And I think she's got a great story to tell. Oh, fabulous. Well, you all will have to be on the lookout for a potential episode with Kate. Thank you, Colleen. And I know that I've been teasing this. Many of you have already looked up Fig and Dove and Colleen on Instagram and her website and whatnot. But Colleen, where can listeners connect with you? Our website's great. Our Instagram's really good. We update our Instagram every day and we answer all of our DMs. Um, oh. If you want to personally email me too through the Colleen Wagaspack Interiors website, there's a way to send a personal email. Oh. Fantastic. Well, Colleen, this has been such a pleasure. I have loved getting to know you better, and I can't thank you enough for your time today. 
Well, thank you, Emily. I really appreciate you having me on and have so enjoyed your podcast. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week for a new episode. Talk to you soon. Bye.